I want you to imagine you decided to throw a party, maybe a wedding party. And you were going to spend some portion of your life savings on this party because there was going to be food and drink and music and dancing for hours to a live band and everybody wanted to come. So you made plans and you set a date and you sent out an initial invitation with information on it, you know, the date, the time, the location, and you let people know. I mean, this this is going to be a party to end all parties. And people responded to your invitation, and they let you know, yes, we're going to be there. And so you started to plan even more for a certain number of people, these people who promised you they would come. So you bought food, and you rented the hugest party tent you could find. And you purchased cases and cases of drinks. You started to decorate. You hired a band. You hired help in the kitchen. And then the day came. It was time. And as you approached the party venue, you know, you had that kind of nervous energy in your stomach, that nervous energy you feel when you're really excited about something that's about to happen, something you've been anticipating for a long time. And so you start to go in to your party and your phone rings. And it's a friend on the other line. And they say, you know what? Um, I can't come to your party because I have an epic hangnail. It's massive. And I really need to stay home tonight and trim it off. And then your phone rings again. And this is another person who said they were going to come to your party. And they say, you know what? Um, My sister's aunt's friend's cousin's nephew's roommate's neighbor's son just came to town. And I really need to take him to dinner so I can't come to your party. And then one last phone call, the final straw. One friend calls and says, you know what? I just got tickets. I finally got tickets to the local kindergarten neighborhood chess tournament. And I had to weigh, you know, should I go to your party? Should I go watch these kids play chess? And I'm just so sorry, but I can't come. And you're like, are you serious? And you're just so angry. You invited these people. They said they would come, and now these are their excuses. And so you know what you do? You say, you know what? Let's just invite the guys who were here earlier to put up the party tent. Yeah, let's just invite them to this big party. What? They're all sweaty? They just have T-shirts and shorts on and hats, and they're covered in dust? They don't think they could ever reciprocate my invitation? They don't feel like they should be invited? all the better. Compel them to come. Have them bring all their friends. Grab them by the hand and pull them into my party. There's still room? Invite the cleaning staff. All of them. And even better, you have another plan. I want you to go across the street, you tell some of your friends. You see that bar across the street? You see that dive bar? Invite everybody there. All of them. Oh, I know there's guys sitting around a bar drinking and they might be drunk. Invite them all. 
What is that you say? It's a strip bar? Perfect. Invite all the strippers. <laughs> you were waiting, weren't you? <laughs> Invite them all, you say, because I want my banquet table full. Can you even imagine this happening? I mean, it's a little bit out there, right? A little bit over the top. Maybe even, you know, a tiny bit offensive to some of you, mentioning strippers in church. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, we find Jesus eating a meal. He's at a bit of a banquet in the house of a prominent Pharisee, a prominent religious leader and social leader of the day, community leader. And Luke wants us to know, as he sets up this chapter, that Jesus, while he's at this party, is being carefully watched. And the very first thing that happens while Jesus is at this party is that he's approached by a man who's sick. And Jesus heals him on the Sabbath, right in front of the Pharisees. Big no-no. Then Jesus looks around the room and he notices that all the guests at this meal, at this little banquet, so to speak, are jostling for who can sit in the seats of honor. They're all trying to place themselves in those seats. And he gives them a little talking to, a little mini sermon, where he tries to let them know that all those who exalt themselves will eventually be humbled and all those who humble themselves will actually be exalted. I'm sure this bit of advice to them went over about as well as my motherly advice goes over as I share it with my now grown-up children. And then looking around, Jesus tells the host, you know what, when you throw a party, what I don't want you to do is invite just the people who are like you, just your own friends and family, the, the kind of people who can pay you back. The people that I want you to start to think about inviting to your parties are the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. FYI, none of those people were present at this party. And Jesus said to them, if you throw that kind of a party where you invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, then you will be blessed at the resurrection of the righteous, which all the Jews knew meant at the end of times, in God's final banquet table, if you are the kind of person who throws parties and invites the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, then you will be blessed at the eventual resurrection. And when Jesus says that, we pick this up in Luke chapter 14, verse 15. Look what happens. When one of those at the table with Jesus heard this, meaning this statement Jesus made about how you can be blessed at the, ta- at the resurrection of the righteous, this person yelled out, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. He's, he's, he's yelling out a blessing, announcing to Jesus and all of those listening that this man believed that he and the other people in the room would, of course, be the ones who would eat at the final banquet table of the Father, God. And what's so pivotal about this moment in the story and the setup to this parable that I'm going to teach 
is that Jesus just told the people in the room that when they throw a party, they should invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. This man and everyone in that room had no intention ever, ever, ever of doing what Jesus just said they should do. This man just ignores what Jesus says, blurts out this blessing, making this announcement that aren't we all so glad, we're so religious, we're so prosperous, we're so righteous, we're all going to be at God's final banquet. Amen, Jesus, right? This guy's thinking, amen, now Jesus is going to honor my blessing that I just gave. And I picture Jesus just staring at this man, angry and frustrated at the arrogance in this room. And he looks around the whole room with this glint in his eye. And he tells this story, starting with verse 16. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. Now, all of Jesus' Jewish listeners would have understood that Jesus was about to tell a story, yes, a parable, but that any time a Jewish rabbi would mention or start to tell a story that involved a great banquet, it very often was a story that was going to paint a picture of God's eternal heavenly banquet. So that's what they understand that Jesus was doing here. Jesus continues, At the time of the banquet... He, this certain man, sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. It's really important for us to understand what's happening here. In the Middle East, uh, when someone was going to throw a great banquet, remember they didn't have phones, they didn't have, they didn't have Morse code. They didn't have um, email. They didn't have computers. They didn't have great kitchens. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have, you know, stoves and ovens. And so what would happen when a person was going to throw a great banquet is that person would send their servant out to the people that he wanted to invite. And the servant would go out and simply say something like, my master is going to throw a great banquet at a date and a time yet to be known whenever we can get all of our stuff together. And he would like to know, can you come? Will you come? And most people in that day and age, because food was scarce, uh, would say, absolutely, you just tell me when that party's going to start and I will get there. And so there was this initial invitation that was issued and there was this initial acceptance that was given. And then... Once everything was starting to be almost ready, once the preparations were almost complete, the master would say to his servant, now I want you to go out again to all the people who said they would come, and I want you to tell them, now is the time. I need you to drop everything you're doing, and I need you to come to this party that I told you was going to happen and that you said you would come to in, in the distant past because it's happening right now. It's time to come. It's time to party. The fattened calf has been killed. It's on the spit right now. The wine has been uncorked. The bread is hot. The butter's melting. Come on. The host is ready for your presence. It's a little bit like how I used to yell at my whole family when I'd finally gotten a hot meal on the table all at once. I'd be like, get down here right now. This food is hot. No one would ever come. 
which is where this parable is going to head. But anyway, that's what's happening here. The final and most urgent invitation is issued. But look what happens in the story. Verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. First ever example of test driving a vehicle right there. Verse 20, still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Okay, <laughs> time out. Jesus listeners would have been thinking. The, the mere idea that a person would turn down this final invitation once they had already said yes, uh, and that they would turn down that initial invitation while offering up some super lame excuse while they knew the meat was on the spit, the expenses of the host had been expended, the tablecloths were out, the candles were lit, the flowers were placed. The idea that you would now offer up some lame excuse to the host, it was just unthinkable to Jesus' listeners. It was just laughable. And so I'm sure the guys who were listening to Jesus tell this story were just poking and prodding each other and elbowing each other and saying, what a bunch of boneheads. Where is Jesus going with this story? This is where he's going, verse 21. So the servant came back. The servant takes all these people's excuses back to the host and reported this to the master. And then the owner of the house became angry. And he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in, listen to who he tells his servant to bring into this party. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And this is where you see the story takes a very bizarre turn for Jesus' listeners, right? The excuses have rolled in to the master, and the host says about all these excuses, fine, that is your choice. But I'm going to invite other people. I'm going to find those who will offer no lame excuses about why they can't come to the party, and I'm literally going to find the lame, so he's kind of saying, you have a lame excuse? Well, I have a new lame guest. What do you think about that? You guys know that was funny. Deb Lindemann's the only one who laughed, okay? That was a funny joke. I worked on that all week. But here's the cultural and religious sting of what Jesus does right here. See, there is no way in the ancient Jewish world, none, that a wealthy man throwing a big banquet would ever invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, or the lame. Are you kidding me? To even posit that idea would be so offensive because this specific group of people, this very specific group of people, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, they would never be considered either as guests at an earthly banquet table, but never as guests at God's final banquet table. No way. They had been excluded their whole lives because of their imperfections. And the sting of this story 
is that many of these people, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, were excluded because it was biblical. This exclusion was outlined in the book of Leviticus. And so that Jesus would be at a banquet telling a story about the final banquet when everybody in that room knew the dinner table was one of the places where who's in and who's out was demonstrated by who got a seat at the table. For Jesus to tell a story that alluded to this idea that God as a host would bypass the wealthy, distracted, invited guests and immediately beat the bushes to invite those who were considered religious rejects, this would just blow the minds of the people who were listening to him tell this story, and not in a good way. This would have been so offensive to them, a hundred times more offensive than me talking about drunk people and strippers getting to come to the big party you guys are throwing. The story continues. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done. So he's saying, I went out and I invited the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame... But there is still room. And then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Jesus right here pushes the knife in just a little further for his listeners. And then all of a sudden in verse 24, something happens, something shifts. Jesus says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And we can't quite tell here if Jesus is still in the parable telling mode and this sentence is coming from the host or if Jesus has now stepped out of the storytelling mode and he's giving a sharp word of warning to the people in the room. Whatever it is, it's a showstopper. It's a game ender. It's a party closer. Because the story just ends here. The scene just cuts. And as I read it and as I studied this, I thought, dude... Jesus is something. He's at a party in the home of a wealthy religious leader. He's surrounded by the religious elite of his day, all of whom considered themselves shoe-ins for a seat, maybe even a seat of honor, at God's great eternal banquet table. And while he's in that location, he tells a story about two kinds of people. The first kind is a person who thinks that, of course, they're going to get to come to the final banquet. Those who think it's their right to be invited, and yet they end up missing the party because when the moment is now, when the time is finally here, they offer up lame excuses. And the second kind of person Jesus tells a story about is is this group of people who get to come to the party and they don't even know how they got an invitation. I mean, these are people who cannot believe they've been given the privilege to even have the remotest seat at the table. And shockingly, the people, the second group of people that Jesus is talking about were the exact same people that the religious leaders dismissed as defective. 
the exact same people who believe they would, of course, be barred from God's eternal banquet table because of their brokenness. I mean, how offensive could Jesus get? And it made me wonder, why specifically did Jesus give this specific warning parable right now, right in this venue? What was it that the religious leaders were missing? And what specific ways were they rejecting the party invitation? I want to know, because I don't want to accidentally become like them. And I bet you don't either. See, Jesus was saying, I am here. The Messiah has come, the Savior, the Christ. He was trying to say, not just here, but with his whole life, I am the final invitation to the banquet. I am the sign that the meal is almost ready. The table is set. The candles are lit. The wine is uncorked. The lamb is about to be slain. The bread and the wine are about to be placed on the table. And the people he's talking to, not just in this room, but definitely in this room, the ones who prompted him to tell this story, they're first of all obsessed with rules, right? Jesus, you can't heal that guy on the Sabbath. I don't care if he's sick. You can't heal him. It's against the rules. They're second of all self-obsessed. They're obsessed with who gets to have the seat of honor, who gets to sit in the best places. And they're also exclusion-obsessed. These are people who are fixated on staying within their own homogenous, religious, ethnically pure circle of friends and calling it the kingdom of God. They actually believed that the kingdom of God is going to be filled with people who look and act and think and talk just like they do. Their understanding of God's kingdoms, kingdom extends only to the edge of their own neighborhood. And they make the fatal error of choosing to remain within their own racial, ethnic, and religious bigotry. And Jesus will not stand for it. He did not stand for it then, and he won't stand for it today. And along with all of these things, or really I should say by doing all of these things, they are actually rejecting Jesus, who's standing right in front of them. And so Jesus says, okay. Okay, he says to them, you're always free to accept or reject my invitation. I will always accept your excuses, no matter how lame they are. I'll take them at face value. So if you don't want to come to the kind of party I'm offering, that's fine. I will fill your seats because I want my banquet table full. And I will find those who aren't rules-obsessed, who aren't self-obsessed, who aren't exclusion-obsessed. And I will invite all the people that you guys have always thought should be excluded, and I will watch them come running, because the party is here, and it's happening now. So take me or leave me, Jesus said to them. And he says to us, he says to every single one of us in this room this morning, my father is throwing a party. 
And I'm the final invitation. My body, the bread. My blood, the finest wine. My guest list, so broad and surprising that the expected might well be absent and the unexpected might well be present. And the marginalized and the oppressed and the blemished and the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, those who are in the ditches and the back alleys and even in the strip bars, they're going to be given seats of honor. And here's my question, Jesus says. Here's my question to all of you. Are you going to come? Are you going to come? And that's how he leaves the parable. And that's how I want to leave it too. Jesus put no bow on his parable. He didn't give any neat or tidy little closing line that makes us all feel good. This parable was meant to be a bit of a sucker punch. It was meant to take our collective breath away. It was meant to leave us with one question that challenges our life direction. It challenges our priorities. It challenges where we put our focus and our attention. And it should challenge all of our lame excuses. Because the reality is, the spiritual reality of this world is that God is throwing a party. And it's an eternal kind of party, but it's one that starts today. And the question he asks, the one question he asks human beings is, are you going to come? Amen. Let's pray. God, we are distracted people. Our hearts are filled with excuses about why we won't seek your kingdom first above all else and trust you with the rest. We offer you excuses that feel really important to us and we offer you the most pathetic excuses in the world about why we can't give you our attention, why we can't make you our priority. And your word is full of deep, loving warnings to us. Don't miss the party. Don't miss the party. Don't miss the party. And so I pray, God, that each and every person in this room, as they're faced now with your question, which is, will you come to the party my father's throwing? I pray that each and every one of us will answer, yes. Yes. Amen.